The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. The Cincinnati Bengals have a new crop of rookies, some talented guys under their belt, a big weekend in Las Vegas for them, for a lot of teams and a lot of fan bases, and we covered it all for you at CincyJungle.com. Hopefully you enjoyed the coverage there. Spearheaded by my man next to me there, John Sheeran, Jason Markham and company, they were taking care of business on the website, getting you all kinds of breaking news and stuff as it happened. John, what a weekend, man. How you doing? Hey, you say spearheaded, but I mean, you were literally, literally on the front lines. So <laughs> shout out to you, man. Um, all the work that you put up on the YouTube channel and everything was was phenomenal. And, and for everyone who hasn't checked it out, I'm sure you've talked about it a ton. But for anyone who hasn't checked it out, if you just listen to our weekly show, go to the YouTube channel, go to the go to the podcast pages, wherever you get your podcast and look at all of the interviews and the content that Anthony got live in Las Vegas for the draft. Phenomenal job, sir. Well, I appreciate it. I I missed you. You got to. I was. We were saying this before we took the air. You got to come out next one uh, with me. I didn't really know what to expect, be it being the first time that we had media credentials at this thing, and it was pretty much. Uh, I mean, it was pretty much all access. You know, I mean, it was press conferences with the picks after they were made, and in a room, and you're in the media workroom, and then you're getting access to, you know, Daniel Jeremiah, Joel Klatt, and company, and it was it was cool, and I, I just happened to run in. I don't know if you saw on my Twitter account, but I just happened to run into Pac-Man Jones. Um, I was I was late to the to I was like feeling like I was running late to the media uh, media room before the draft, and Pac-Man was lost also. So I was like, <laughs> hey, and so we just started walking to the draft together for the for the media room. So when um, I did tell him, I said, hey, uh, you know, I, he knows about. SB Nation and whatnot, and I told him, "Hey, you know, I, I buddies with DNH Sports and John Sheeran. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so he knows that part of the Believe crew. So it was cool chat with him. Cool weekend, and um, I could only stay through Friday. Or, excuse me, through through Thursday night. Couldn't stay the whole weekend, but um, next time that'll be uh, part of part of the deal. But hopefully, people enjoyed what we did there on the show and what uh, what you guys did at, on the website. Ton of ton of work that was put in this weekend, but some fun there. But at any rate, happy to be with you here talking some Cincinnati Bengals, talking NFL draft. We're going to talk a little bit about what's ahead 
We're going to have a little fun with a remember when. And just actually, because there's another wave of free agency, believe it or not, post-draft, we're going to talk about some of the remaining free agents out there because this is kind of veteran rental deal time. And when you look at some of the position groups the Bengals did not address in this year's class, maybe there are some veteran rental deals out there that could be had to help their team out. And we'll see what happens there. But we've got an interesting guy to profile there. If you are new to this show, welcome. And you can get this show on your favorite audio platform, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. We are on all the major ones. The Cincy Jungle Podcast channel is. So subscribe to that if you can. And if you like the video of what we do, we stream live on a couple of Twitter accounts. You have to go like the Cincy Jungle Facebook page. And then, of course, we have our YouTube channel, The Orange and Black Insider. The icon is underneath John's window there. If you're watching the, the YouTube video and underneath the SB Nation logo there, you can click that to subscribe and then the bell to be notified when new content is available and when we go live, all that kind of good stuff. So you got to subscribe. Like I, like John said, some of those interviews, just we had to hammer them on the, on the YouTube channel just to get them out, up and out there right before the draft. So if you subscribed and you clicked that bell, you knew when they were, they were coming. So hopefully you did that. At any rate, John, let's, let's get to it. The draft class. We can talk impressions. We can talk about, you know, I, I, I'm not a big grade guy right after the draft. I mean, I know that's kind of a big thing and it's just hard to evaluate, but I've kind of given my take on a couple of our episodes and other, other shows that I've been on here. Your first impressions of this, of this class, the Bengals moved up a couple times. They ended with less picks than they started the weekend with. So kind of a different draft for the Cincinnati Bengals. And as you Looked in your crystal ball last week on our show. You noted, hey, this was kind of a quality over quantity draft based on where the roster was. And it they kind of acted as such as, as a team and how they drafted this weekend. Got two trade-ups in a single draft for the Bengals without trading back. I don't think has ever been done before. It was the first time since 1995 when they traded up for Kajana Carter when they trade that they traded up in the first two rounds. So they haven't done that in over 25 years. And I think if you were to look at these six players in whatever mock simulator that you wanted before the draft and you were to post it online, I feel like the majority of people would not think it's like a B, B plus. They would probably give it like a C. I think a lot of people didn't know who Zach Carter or Cordo Volson was. Maybe some people didn't know who Jeff Gunter was either. Maybe even Tyson Anderson, for that matter. It wasn't a lot of well-known guys in the Bengals community or the circle of Bengals media before the draft. But that's why the context of what actually happens in the draft matters. This class as a whole did not fit particularly well with what the Bengals really needed right now. It was really strong at receiver. It was really strong at edge. Everything else was, I mean, honestly, it was pretty weak. You know, you had some high talent guys mm -hmm. at certain positions. And it was really just seeing how the draft unfolded. Nine Nine offensive linemen went off the board before the Bengals picked at 31. And yeah. They found a guy in Dax Hill who I think by most people was a mid first round player at worst. And he was by far their best player available. He doesn't play cornerback. He doesn't play defensive tackle, but he plays a position that they will definitely need in the coming future. And they can definitely fill out a role for him right now. They drafted two safeties. They drafted the guy in Tyson Anderson. They traded up for him in the fifth round because he was by far the best player on their board at that point. And I think in general, they probably didn't love just the overall depth of this class in general. And that's why with a roster as loaded as they have and the eight or seven picks that they had originally, they didn't feel like they needed all of them if they just want to fill out the, the roster with the best players that they could possibly get 
from the draft. But they did address cornerback. They got Cam Taylor Britt. They did address defensive tackle or five technique with Zach Carter. They did get an offensive lineman who they feel like can compete immediately with Cordell Volson. So I think with how the draft ended up, when there was a run on tight ends in the fourth round, when there was no offensive lineman really available for them in the first, and cornerbacks kind of went off the board kind of early too. Overall, I think the Bengals did fine. There was not a pick here that they made that I think warrants like extreme criticism by any means. Mm-hmm. And obviously mm-hmm. extreme criticism after the draft anyways is kind of useless. There's no Jamar Chase gets an F after picking an offensive lineman in this class. So <laughs> I, I think I think it was very solid and we're going to see how these guys fare out. But six players who I think all have a good chance of not only making the roster, but having a pretty significant role early on, whether that is special teams with guys like Anderson and Gunter starters like Volson and Taylor Britt or guys that will fill quality rotational roles that, that will still play a few hundred snaps in Carter, Carter and Hill. And in a couple of years down the road, we could look at this class being very, very good. We talked about this last week again, that we, we, we had the discussion of quality over quantity. And then of course you have the discussions of, where this roster is, where the Bengals pick in each round in terms of being at the back of each round. And and so you got to take some of these things into account and you have to take into account that they aren't grabbing players as they have really for the past three drafts that are slated, at least with early round picks that are slated to be, Hey, this is day one starter. We need, this is a need, need, need. We need this player right now. So they kind of went a little bit of need, a little bit of best player available what were what were some of the biggest surprises to you, John? And I mean, some of the ones that I think people can point to is the multiple defensive back picks, even though, you know, you do, you, you've got players in the fold, your starters in the fold, star players in the fold and in, in the secondary, at least for this year. Um, was that surprising to you? Was it the lack of some of those pass catchers that was a surprise to you? I mean, what, what are some of the things... The move ups. I mean, I think that was a surprise, especially in the second round. I mean, I think you can maybe say, you know, day three move up, big deal. I mean, we kind of maybe thought they would do maybe something like that. But the the round two move up, even for a few picks, that kind of surprised me a little bit. But what are some of your biggest surprises or the biggest surprise in your eyes? Yeah. So when we talked last week about them not needing to trade back because they don't need an influx of 10, 12 rookies or draft picks this year. I didn't know that they were going to trade up that early, but trading up at all, especially for their biggest need, it wasn't terribly shocking. It was just like, oh, this is kind of new. I didn't really quite expect this because there's no real precedent for that in recent history. But knowing what cornerbacks were left there and the fact that Taylor Britt definitely fits the best with what they needed that spot and there was basically no one left aside from Martin Emerson, who went to the Browns a few picks later, that wasn't too surprising to me. They typically invest premium picks in that position and he and he fits a lot of what they look for a cornerback he checks a lot of boxes i guess maybe the surprise to me was just ignorance on my part because i didn't know a lot about zach carter coming into the draft i didn't know a lot about cordo volson i think i learned more about them after they were picked and i think kind of reconciled with you know that that value makes a little bit of sense it's just that the defensive tackle class this year was just i mean it was porous to, to put it lightly like there was no real guys outside of maybe one or two in that should have went in the first round that I think are going to be, you know, surefire starters going forward. And they don't really need that, but they definitely need bodies there. And I think Carter, no one really knew what he was going to be in the NFL coming off, coming out of college because he played a lot on the edge, but he does have the frame and the power and the strength and the hand usage of a solid defensive tackle, which is really what they need behind bj hill but you still don't really have that burst so carter was a little surprising just because 
He's not really the athlete that you would prefer at that spot, especially taking him over a guy like Perry and Winfrey, who maybe has more flashier tape and maybe some you know higher highs, if you will. And Volson, again, I mean, I didn't bother looking at FCS offensive lineman at all. I didn't know who he was going in, but there was a lot of buzz of him going maybe early day three. So that kind of fits where those rumors were and learning about him as the person, the guy, you know, is a real, real student of the game, if you will, really takes the coaching. A lot of things that we talk about, um, you know, players who fit the pigment of you and I. So, you know, there's a lot of things with that that I think give him a leg up in whatever competition that he's in. I guess it was more just, you know, they only had six picks and half of them were are guys that we weren't too familiar with, but learning more about who they were as, as players and as people and all their characters and stuff, it, it makes it a little less surprising, I guess. It does. And I would say just kind of macro look at the, the draft class. One of the biggest surprises to me was the fact that five of the six picks were used on the defensive side of the ball. Um, yeah. You know, no, no specialists, no, like I said, no pass catchers. I thought it would might be, it would the scale would balance maybe a little bit more to the defensive side of the ball with the amount of picks um, that, that they had going into the weekend. I thought maybe it would slightly favor the defense going interior pass rusher, interior defensive lineman, maybe edge rusher, secondary players, that sort of thing. But I didn't really think it would be just one player on offense. And you talked about him a little bit. Cordell Volson, the, the lone player on offense at the Bengals, did draft a bit of a surprise. Now, when you look at when you look at the player, I mean, at, at, at the time, I think people were kind of I, I don't know. I don't know if I want to call it an unpopular pick, but fans were kind of like, what? So when you when you look at this player and as I saw some clips and saw some more things about him, I saw a lot of Frank Pollock thumbprint on that pick. It just seemed like a guy that, yeah, he's he's an imperfect player. He's a small school player, but there's a tenacity there. There's that glass eater uh, mentality a little bit, I guess, if you if you want to call it that. But there's the ability to pull and all of that. So I guess let's focus on him for just a second, if if you will. What you have seen since that Bengals have made that pick and where do you see him immediately sliding in in that competition at left guard? Because it seems like Jackson Carmen has the inside track. There's a really, really awful story out there. We don't know exactly what's going on with that whole thing there and how that's going to go long term. But he seems to have the inside track there at the left guard position, but this kid brings, I don't know, some things that may uh, really, really intrigue Frank Pollock right away. Well, there's definitely, you know, a difference between a mid second round pick and a late fourth round pick. And with Volson, there shouldn't be too high of expectations. I think in general though, because of what they have to deal with right now at left guard, there's going to be some type of expectation for Volson. I think, if you compare him to the prospects that Jackson Carmen and Deontay Smith were, there's not that much separating them. I think Volson is very much an average athlete at the guard position. I do think that left guard is where he will play the most, not only for the Bengals, but just in the NFL in general. I don't really foresee him sur- surviving on the edge with that athleticism. And I think projection is a lot of it because you haven't really seen him against quality NFL pass rushers. He's going up against, future insurance agents out there against Albany state or wherever he's playing. So th- there is a projection there. He's 24 years old. You know, he's, he's started six, He started like uh, six, 40 games. He played 63 or 65 is like a school record for North Dakota state. And you see the traits that you want to see for a guy who is going in to a Frank Pollock system. He drives through contact. He keeps his leg moving, right? He carries 
315 pounds for 34 inch arms very well. It's not like he's completely unathletic. He has the the movement ability to handle the zone concepts that the Bengals run. And he did a lot of that in North Dakota State because even for an FCS school, they do a lot of pro style concepts. They have great coaching there. And just in general, you know, small school prospects and offense alignment in general, they really have to take to the technique and coaching that they receive because they can't just rely on athleticism because the best athletes, they don't end up at North Dakota State, aside from maybe a couple of receivers. So with Volson, I think he does just naturally have a good chance of carving out a role or maybe the starting spot because there's not that much differentiating him aside from draft status compared to Jackson Carmen. I think Carmen might have the slight edge in terms of athleticism, but just listening to Pollock talk about Volson and just offensive linemen in general after that pick, it really did seem like Volson checked more of their intangible boxes than Carmen does. And now Carmen, after a year of being, you know, un- an underwhelming player, Volson's coming in with a fresh start. They only know what he was in North Dakota State. They've heard nothing but great things about him as the person, as the guy that takes the coaching. And that was one of the reasons why Deontay Smith was almost a starter last year because he was just ahead of Carmen in that regard. If Volson comes in like Deontay Smith did last year and Carmen doesn't take that step, there's absolutely a scenario where Volson's your week one starter at left guard. Well, so we're, we can kind of transition this chat a little bit to trends that we saw out of these six players. You mentioned one in terms of high academics. Again, once again, the team captain status on on some of these guys here. And then, you know, we, we in talking about Volson, we, that's a Frank Pollock guy, if you want to use that phrase there. The other trend that we saw out of this, for the most part, I mean, we've talked about you want a little more athleticism out of out of Zachary Carter uh, for for what he's going to do. But there's two things in general that you saw out of a lot of these picks: high athleticism, high RAS scores, um, you know, the, the character, the team captain, academics, that side of thing. But also versatility, versatility, especially as it goes with the defensive players. Even the offensive lineman that they drafted, Volson, he played and and had uh, snaps at four of the five offensive line positions while at North Dakota State. So versatility and for the most part, athleticism, particularly as it goes with those players in the secondary. Yeah, and I think Dax Hill and Cam Taylor Britt specifically are very similar athletes. I think both tested above the 80th percentile in terms of speed for their size. Both tested really flexible for their size. And I mean, you talk about defensive backs, that's three cone, that's short shuttle, that's 40. Mm-hmm. I think all three defensive backs ran sub 440 or sub 4440s, excuse me, both really productive too. Like Dax Hill being 21 years old at Michigan, I think he produced in the 99th percentile when you talk about his age and strength of schedule compared to, you know, all of his ball production. It was always around the ball. He was making plays on the ball. He's got great ball tracking ability. There's just a lot of conversation about what Dax Hill maybe can't do in terms of like, can he be a boundary quarterback? But there's a lot that he can do too. Like he's anywhere he is in the middle of the field. Maybe you don't want him taking on a lot of blocks because he's undersized at six foot one ninety one. He might not fit in as a box safety going forward, but he's an overhang defender. It's the guy who could match up in the slot. It's the guy who could be a split field safety. Anthony, I feel like the conversation with Dax Hill has, has evolved to a good point because he seemed to embrace the idea of being a positionless player. Like wanting to not 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 just being open to being moved around, but wanting to do that, wanting to wear multiple hats and fit multiple roles. And when you look at the Bengals defense in the playoffs specifically and how they were just an evolving monster that always changed week to week based off of what the opponent did. I think Dax Hill is an ideal chess piece with that because 
some some weeks he can be that split field safety. Some weeks he could be a deep third safety if you're looking at a post Jesse baseless defense. Some weeks he can move up to the slot and be opposite of Mike Hilton if they want to run more dime. He can do all of those things, and that role could change from week to week. So to have him in the fold for the next five years on defense is phenomenal. And and again, he fits the athletic mold and the physical mold that they that they wanted in this draft. Clearly, like they clearly value length. Like Dax Hill, 32 and a half inch arms. Mm-hmm. Cam Taylor Britt, 31 and a half inch arms. Zach Carter, 33 and a half inch arms. Tyson Anderson, really big at safety. 6'2, 210, 33 eighth inch arms, 10 inch hands. Jeff Gunter, the seventh round edge that we haven't really talked about, 33 inch arms, 6'4, 258. So they clearly have these size thresholds that they wanted these guys to hit. And they're all, they really are all like above average athletes. And that's really going to help them, you know, translate to whatever roles they want to. Fill the fill them at. Yeah, I, and, and the other thing too, when you mention what the Bengals defense did last year and roles and all that kind of stuff, it's it's funny when you look at Ricardo Allen, and that, that's kind of where I see Dax Hill kind of doing a little bit, at least immediate work in that role a little bit since he retired. Said that a couple times since the draft pick, but again, kind of a Swiss Army knife player. Initially, you can go in there and do that. Allen, his position was safety, but did a lot of different things. And then when you look at Trey Flowers, cornerback, but he was kind of the tight end coverage guy there as well. So just they do a lot of different things. They do a lot of different things with their secondary players. They bring Flowers back, obviously, but these guys give give them, like you said, positional flexibility, different looks on defense, and the ability to cover a lot of different players and, and create uh, negate potential mismatches from opposing offenses that they're trying to exploit on the Bengals' side of the ball. And then that high-end speed, athleticism, fluidity that you see out of, out of these players that you saw out of their RAS scores and everything. I mean, I think it just kind of plays into what Luana Rumo has tried to build over the past handful of years. So just the past two years, like their their highest defensive pick last year was Joseph Asai. Absolute freak athlete at edge. We haven't seen him aside from one preseason game. But you have him, and then you have Dax Hill, Cam Taylor-Britt, I mean, Zach Carter is like an average athlete, I guess. But Tyson Anderson, another really fast guy, just a true injection of speed and explosion and just overall athleticism in in this defense, a defense that I think we can all agree was objectively good above average for most of the year. But there were times, you know, outside of the playoffs when, you know, it it didn't look like they could keep up with, with some other offenses. And there just wasn't that like upper tier athlete in space that could move with some of some of these receivers that they had to face. They found a guy in Trey Flowers who can match up with tight ends, but there just seemed to be an element of speed and just general just athleticism in the second and third level of, of that defense. And Von Bell, Jesse Bates, they're, they're really fine safeties, but neither one is like a phenomenal athlete. They, they didn't really have that at cornerback either. And they didn't really have that at pass rusher either. Like, again, a, a fine pass rushing unit, Trey Hendrickson, Sam Hubbard, but no real explosion off of the edge. I think... And just in the past two drafts, they've improved the overall athleticism of their defense tenfold. And again, yes, they didn't draft a tight end. I think they were definitely interested in doing so in the fourth round until a couple of guys got picked. They didn't they didn't draft a receiver. We have no idea if they were really interested in that or just there was just no guys that they deemed worthy of the pick. With how the draft fell and what their defense really did need to keep making it ascend into the unit that it's becoming I think they did a phenomenal job of improving the overall athleticism. And you could say the versatility as well. I think with Dax, he's probably more versatile than 
a, a Taylor Britt or a Zach Carter or a Tyson Anderson. I think those guys are going to have more singular defined roles, but I think the fact that they've played multiple roles gives them the option and the availability if it, if it ends up coming to that. But athleticism, I definitely think is the main theme of this class. For sure. Uh, what do you see as the immediate outlook for some of these picks here? And what I mean by that is immediate roles, immediate, you know, uh, uh, we talked about Volson maybe in the mix a little bit for that starting left guard job that's in flux at the moment. I mean, what do you make? Uh, does do, do you see Taylor Britt taking over for Eli Apple early uh, as as a boundary corner? Because that's that's where they want to play him. Zach Taylor said that in the in the post pick press conference. And then, of course, you've got Dax that's probably going to get a lot of snaps, but just at a lot of different places. I mean, I don't know. How do you how do you see things shaking out? Again, we talked about how much better of a place this roster is in right now as opposed to previous years. So they don't necessarily need these a lot of these guys to come in and take you know huge chunks of snaps or immediate starting positions. But I mean, it sounds like they're going to get some some looks at opportunities to have high profile roles pretty soon. Yeah, so let's go. Let's just go down the list then. Dax Hill, I think you can pencil him in for 20 snaps a game, at least maybe on average, as either what Ricardo Allen was supposed to be last year, or you will see him in the slot, depending on, you know, how pass heavy the opposition is going to be. It's going to be an ever changing role up until maybe he has to replace one of uh, Bates and Bell long term going forward. And then he's just primarily a safety. Maybe that role or maybe that identity of his never really changes. And that's just the way that their defense is going. But I think for this year, third safety, occasional slot defender. Taylor Britt is going to compete with the LA Apple. He either wins that job or doesn't. But I think by the end of by season's end, he's going to get a decent amount of playing time just because, mm-hmm. you know, there's going to be attrition at cornerback probably. And going forward, he's going to be the starter. Zach Carter, he fills in behind BJ Hill. He fills in with Josh Tupo at five technique. I don't really know like a snap projection off the top of my head, but they need guys behind those two players, and he's going to be the first off the bench there. Volson, either he wins the starting job at left guard, or he's probably inactive just because they have other more versatile guys that can fill multiple spots. I know he, he can play tackle, but I think they have enough depth at the tackle spot where he wouldn't need to play. Tyson Anderson's interesting because I think he's if he's active, he's going to be all over special teams. That's what he did at Toledo while being the the centerpiece of their defense. But you have him and Hill and Bates and Bell, and you brought back Michael Thomas. You still have Brandon Wilson, who's your main kick Mm -hmm. returner. He's coming back from injury. That's six safeties. Odds are one of them is not going to be on the team. Maybe two of them aren't going to be on the team. So if Anderson is on the team, I'm, I'm interested to see if he gets activated because of that special teams. But when he's, when he's dressed up in uniform, you will see him on all special teams units. Jeff Gunter, I mean, he's the biggest question to make the roster, but Anthony, like behind Asai, Hendrickson, and Hubbard, there's not really a set in stone fourth or fifth edge rusher on this team. I know Clid Kareem and Cam Sample might have the inside track, but Gunter shows shows out in, in the preseason, and we've seen in years past, like edge rushers for the Bengals kind of come out of nowhere. At least Gunter has some draft status to him. He's got some explosion. He could definitely carve out a role if no one else kind of asserts themselves in that. Yeah, Hubert's coming back too. So he he may be a guy that's in that mix a little bit there in terms of preseason, getting some snaps and whatnot. But yeah, Gunter's um, really interesting to me and another one of those kind of athletic guys. And um, by by most pundits, it sounded like he was projected to go maybe a round or two earlier than when he went. So, um, you know, that the Bengals, by the way, were just 
all over Coastal Carolina this year. I mean, just <laughs> all all over the Chanticleers. Yeah, man, they were just like all over them. Jeez Louise, between the undrafted free agents and whatnot, um, pre-draft visits and who they picked, it's uh, there's a lot there. So, um, well, it just before we get to your your favorite picks as well or pick as well, um, intriguing undrafted free agents for you. Uh, you yeah. know, they they brought in a bunch. I know Ben Brown, the Mississippi offensive lineman, another versatile guy. That that intrigues me personally. You've got the Miami of Ohio. I think it's Jack Sorensen, the, the wide receiver there that put up some nice numbers last year as I think you coined him the super senior. Um, so, I mean, like, you know, th- th- there are a couple guys in there. The the tight ends they brought in, they, they've got, you know, size and, and that sort of thing to them, but not college production, at least not as of last year in rig from Kentucky and the Florida state tight end. I don't know uh, any, anything or anybody you are particularly interested in, in this UDFA class that the Bengals brought in um, that, that may sneak onto this roster somehow. Yeah. It's been way too long researching these guys. So I better use this knowledge to the best of my <laughs> ability. I think Carson Wells, the edge yeah. out of Colorado and, and JV, Javon highly out of coastal Carolina, the, the slot coastal Carolina. Yeah, I think they both should have been drafted based off of their profiles. Yeah. And we just talked about it with Edge. Wells should be in that conversation to get snaps in the preseason and in training camp and have a decent shot at making the roster because he was insanely productive at Colorado. Just on that defense, he led the team in tackles for loss and sacks by like a wide margin for two years as a starter there. He's still just 23 years old, so he's not one of the four or five super seniors that they've brought in as undrafted free agents. He's a really fast athlete, not a great all-around athlete, though, but I think he'll really intrigue them. He also put like 360 career snaps on special teams, so there's a role to be had there. With Hiley, I think all three receiver spots, like their backup spots are open, so there's definitely a spot to be had behind Tyler Boyd, and I think the best parts about his game are reminiscent of the best parts about Tyler Boyd's game. You know, very nuanced in his route running. He's able to generate separation at, in and out of his breaks at the top of his routes with some type of hesitation moves and whatnot. Um, very productive at Coastal Carolina, Coastal mm-hmm. Carolina at the very end of his career. So I think that's interesting. He just wasn't a great athlete, which is why I think he ended up going undrafted. Delonte Hood from Peru State. No, yeah, very, Peru State. No, nothing about like his personal life or anything. He was a two-time transfer from some other school. He ended up at Toledo for a year and he played one game. So he was teammates with Tyson Anderson and he had his pro day at Nebraska. I, I know the Bengals do a lot of work in the draft. I don't imagine they had Peru state film where they were able to acquire a lot of it. I think they probably <laughs> found him out at Nebraska's pro day and he tested like in the 80th percentile in speed, the 59th percentile in explosion, the 70th percentile in flexibility, like for 5'11, 192, he's a really good athlete with 32 inch arms. And I think he like really had a lot of past def- past deflection um, production wherever he was at. I still don't know where Peru State is, but you know he was the only cornerback that they brought in as an undrafted free agent, along with I think another guy from from Washington who's more of a slot guy. So if, if there is something to be said about the back end of that position group, I think Hood has the athleticism, has the pass production to kind of make a case. Yeah, and then you've got the Washington defensive back, Brendan Radley-Hiles, um, a small guy, doesn't have a – he had a really, really poor RAS, if I remember correctly. But the, the Huskies, they put out a lot of good defensive backs, so I'm interested to kind of see how he gets in the mix there. 
Um, and, and then, you know, what's interesting to me uh, before we transition into what's what may be next for the Bengals, the, the fact that they may have a new special teams battery, if you want to coin it that, brewing. Um, you know, they brought in the long snapper, Cal, out of Midas. Um, they have Drew Christman still now. They brought back Kevin Huber. But, you know, you have still, obviously, Evan McPherson's second year, a young guy. Um, I, I'm just interested to see if, if and when that battery changes, if it's this year, if it's next year, and if it's going to be a full change in terms of changing your snapper, changing your punter all at once, if you're going to kind of chip away at it or how that's going to work. I don't know how Darren Simmons feels about kind of making a, a wholesale change like that, especially with still a young kicker. I don't know if I'm just overthinking it, but, um, you know, obviously stability on special teams and consistency on special teams, particularly in those facets, are key. So I, I'm just kind of interested on that facet um, as we look at UDFAs and whatnot. Yeah, and I think – they had 70 players on the roster as soon as the draft ended. So they had 20 openings to get to 90 if they wanted to get up to 90. I think they're at 87 right now. So they've went really heavy with college free agents, including uh, Cal Ad- Adamitis. I-, I don't know if Clark Harris was willing to come back for a competition, but he still wants to be the oldest player in the NFL. And now he's got, I guess, the only, according to Dane Brugler, the only draftable Long snapper, there's no data on long snappers either. You're good at it or you're not. <laughs> They've had like Dan Godsell in the past to just kind of give Clark Harris some breathers in the dog days of August. So maybe that's the case here. Maybe he sticks on as a practice squad guy, just like Chrisman did last year in case something happens to um, Harris and just the fact that he's approaching 40. So I, I don't really buy into both Chrisman and Adam Midas kind of taking over this year, but I think they just wanted to fill out the roster and, you know, give that backup to a guy who's, you know, again, approaching 40. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any final thoughts on the draft class themselves that you maybe didn't share before we get into what may be next for this team, where they, what, what, what they may need, et cetera. Yeah. I, again, I, I just think that with how the draft kind of unfolded, it wasn't completely ideal. Like we talked about, they're not going to fill every need with a premium posi- or a premium pick with a premium player. And that was definitely the case with offensive line. It was definitely the case with tight end and wide receiver. They didn't draft any either of those positions. But for how it unfolded, for who went in front of them, it was, an, it was a new reality, right? They were 31st in the order. They've never picked this late in franchise history. I think they handled it well. Like They ended up getting quality players, guys who should last long in the league. I think with Hill and Britt, you're looking at potential potential Pro Bowl players because the data backs that up. But I think they have really good chances of sticking around the league for a long time as starters. The rest of them, I, I foresee, you know, early on just role players and maybe a couple of them develops into something more. But for six picks, I think their hit rate is going to be pretty decent. And that's not always the case for teams that end up with this little draft picks. Usually it's the more draft picks that you have, the more um, throws of, at the dartboard you get. But I think they made their six count, and I think they added a handful of college for agents who were going to have a good chance of making the roster, not just because there are some deficiencies on the roster still, but because they were quality college players that kind of fell through the cracks. Well said. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What now for the Cincinnati Bengals, John? I mean, they've got we, – we talked about who they drafted. We talked about maybe positions they did not. If you're the Cincinnati Bengals, what uh, – I, I mean, you got to let the dust settle a little bit here. Obviously, OTAs are occurring and whatnot. But what are some of the priorities here um, in terms of maybe you bring in guys here and there that are kind of rental-free agents that maybe uh, veteran help to them or – you know, obviously there's the whole Jesse Bates contract situation and that still needs to be remedied, but how high of a priority now after this draft class and what has been on the table, what's been proposed, you know, where, where is that? I mean, if you're the Bengals, what are some of the next steps as we plod forward to training camp and, and preseason? Yeah. So they're at 87 guys right now. I think they brought in a guard from Florida and a tight end from Florida state to Mm -hmm. try out as rookies. And I think, it was reported that the Florida State tight end was likely to sign. So we're probably looking at two open roster spots at this point. There's there's still only three quarterbacks on the roster. I think they usually carry four going into camp. So maybe they add like a rookie who still hasn't signed yet after the draft. I'm looking at defensive tackle, though. And I think they should probably have more than six when camp begins. And the fifth and sixth guys there are a third-round rookie and Tariquius Tisdale phenomenal name out of Ole Miss by the way (laughs) so like at this point you're probably looking back at the defensive tackle market it's just a lot of guys who are well past their prime and Larry Ogunjobi we don't know how that situation is we don't know if there is a situation or if there is a bridge that has been burnt or not been burnt I know that people got a little upset that um, Volson took Quinton Spain's number 67 number 65 still is available on the Bengals roster so I wouldn't completely rule that out. I just wonder about the logistics. You're probably giving Ogunjobi a really good chance to make the team. And at that point, might have a decision to make with Zach Carter or Tyler Shelvin. They might have their five defensive tackles right now, but they could probably benefit by adding one or two more. And that might mean that you're not getting like a notable name. Everywhere else on the roster, though, is pretty deep right now. Like they have 12 receivers. They have seven or eight cornerbacks. They're pretty good at linebacker edge. 14 offensive linemen. There's not a ton of openings. So maybe you're right. Maybe the next step is going all in on a Jesse Bates extension. extension. They still have cash this year to spend, and that's probably where they imagined they were going to spend it. But 
you know, we don't know what that what that situation is. We don't know if the two sides are kind of coming closer together for some type of compromise or if both sides are kind of staying their ground right now. So this is what we're sharing. If you're watching the video portion of this, I did talk about this on the Happening Headline show a little bit. This is an article on NFL.com talking about the top. It was initially before anybody signed. It was a top 101 NFL free agents of 22. Now it's dwindled down quite a bit based on who signed. And now this is kind of the post-draft list of available free agents. Three guys kind of in a row there that, you know, some some Bengals fans are talking about. You're talking about interior defensive line. I don't know if Akeem Hicks makes makes sense. I, I think the, the money there might be a little more than what the Bengals may want to spend after bringing in Zachary Carter. Who knows? Trey Flowers, a guy who can uh, give you some pass rush help. There's J.C. Treader, the center out there. Now, do you are you sold now, after this draft class, what the Bengals did with interior, uh, what they did or didn't do with the interior offensive line? They never had the shot to draft Linderbaum. So would have been interesting to see, uh, as Daniel Jeremiah told me, it would have been interesting to see if Linderbaum was there, what the Bengals would do. Um, but... They never really had a shot at him. Otherwise, they they seem to be pretty content with uh, Karras as their center and and letting left guard have those chips fall where they may. But it, do you do you see Treader at this point, especially where the price for him potentially just keeps dropping um, because he's out there? I don't know. Is that something you see the Bengals exploring, or is it just that where they're at's where they're at on the offensive line? I don't know That's what the, the price fluctuation is or, or if there is a price fluctuation at all. I know Tyron Matthew just got paid a decent amount by the Saints, and he had to wait until after the draft. With Treader, I guess the, it's the situation of his age. He's 31, mm-hmm. and he plays a not very valuable position. He's also the president of the NFLPA, and he had some things to say about the future of guaranteed money. And I don't know if Bengals management and their front office are vibing <laughs> with that necessarily. Yeah, I, I don't think that they're that pressed about the offensive line, though, enough to sign what many people would consider to be a top tier center. I think they already signed that guy in Ted Karras, not saying that he's a top tier center, but in their minds, I think they just always viewed him as the center. And I don't think it was a slam dunk, surefire thing that they were going to draft Linderbaum. If I were to guess if Linderbaum and Dax Hill were both available, I still think the pick is probably Dax Hill because I don't imagine a center for them is a 1B or middle of the first round player, which is what I'm pretty confident Dax Hill was for them. So they got 14 guys right now. I think that they would be comfortable with keeping at least 10 of them, or at least they have 10 guys on their team right now that they would feel comfortable making the team. Maybe Hakeem Adenogy and Isaiah Prince are on the chopping block, but at this point, I, I just don't, I don't see a path for Treader to join this team unless an injury happens. And I think that is probably what he should do or what he should wait and look for. If a team has a dire need all of a sudden, all of a sudden at center, he's been training. He's still working. He still wants to play a team signs him for one year. He can maybe re up his value. I don't think that's in the Bengals cards though. Yeah. You've got a couple of others on this list. Sheldon Richardson, um, 31 years old and Dominican Sue. Uh, and then there's Larry O right there. Number 93, of course, the injury there. Um, which which is just hampering him. And obviously he failed that physical after signing that big deal with the Bears. Feel feel really bad for him. You see Riley Reef out there as well and Joe Hayden. I, I don't think the Bengals are in need of secondary help at this point in time, but just an interesting article there that I brought up of, of some of the some of the names you could be looking for there. Uh before we get to our you know potential uh and it's not one of the guys we named. 
the potential free agency profile, you know, a guy who could help as a veteran here for the team. Uh, anything that you want to talk about with OTAs, obviously Jesse Bates not present for those workouts and um, Logan Wilson not participating because he is recovering from labrum surgery. Anything else that we should be kind of get up to speed on with OTAs, the Bengals, et cetera? Yeah, so I think right now there's no like on-field drills that are being conducted. I think they're just on the field stretching and they're doing most Weights of the work stuff. in the weight room, right? So yeah. I think Zach Taylor says only really interesting that I don't think a lot of people have realized, specifically with their situation they're a little bit behind what other teams are in terms of the offseason program just because they played until the middle of February. And he was talking about, well, some guys, you know, they don't have workout bonuses, so they don't feel that the, the necessity to be here. And they, I think he was referring to a handful of players, but some players are in the middle of their own personal workout routines. And in a traditional offseason, at least for them, when they've been not invited or they didn't make the playoffs, those start you know, however early in January, and then they probably conclude by the beginning of April, and then they're ready to move on to working working out with the team. I think Taylor mentioned that some of those guys are still in their own personal workout routines, and they will then join the team once the actual team drills and activities pick up and their schedules will then align. I don't know specifically who he was referring to, but I think it was a good perspective that not everyone who doesn't show up for voluntary OTAs is doing so out of out of ill content or in a contract dispute or anything like that. Some guys, again, they, they don't have a financial incentive to do so. Some guys are still on their own schedules. But I think for, I think for the most part, the vast majority of the team was there. They were, I, I think, all there last year when they all kind of rallied to do so. So I think that mindset is maintained for most of the team. This isn't really going to be a real problem for Bates or any well-known player until we get to like June when they're starting to do some team drills and even then he's jesse bates whenever he shows up he's going to be fine yeah the the bates thing is kind of ruling the headlines but again i think this based on where the contract talks did and didn't go this is kind of an expected route uh from from a lot of us here in terms of him not showing up to these sort of things it's just kind of a ironic twist because he was the guy that was rallying the troops last year to get to these things and have a hundred percent participation and everything. Um, obviously his contract situation is what it is. And now he's saying, I'm, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to condition my way for right now. We'll see what happens with training camp and whatnot. I, I don't think we should be, I think we can take a step back from the ledge a little bit um, from, from things. Yeah. I, I, there's some people that are just freaking out based on the draft class and immediate knee jerk reaction. I'm going, let's just, well, I, I knew that I knew that parallel was going to be brought up by like someone like, oh, Bates was doing this last year and now he's doing the opposite. Well, Bates was just starting the contract negotiations last right. year. And I think in his mind, they were going to conclude by the time the season's ending. Obviously, things have happened. Again, we don't know the context or the, the situation of what's going on with those communications. But I, th this happens all around the league and it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a player looking out for the best interest of himself. He still cares about the team. The team still cares about him. If you want to believe what Mike Hilton said to the media, that's all that matters. Well, let's get to our free agent profile. Um, now we talked about interior defensive linemen. You did not mention this particular group as one where the Bengals position group, where the Bengals need to be looking with some additional reinforcements after the dust has settled for the from the NFL draft. Now, I am 
I, I am okay with the fact that I may get listeners rolling their eyes or what have you about the player I'm going to mention and or maybe the position I'm going to mention. But hear me out on this one a little bit. Um, the Cincinnati Bengals, as we mentioned, did not get a pass catcher of any kind, whether it's a speedy return guy, whether it's a tight end, whatever the, the case may be, they did not do that. They've got some guys at the UDFA ranks. They brought in uh, one of the Michael Thomases, Mike Thomas. Um, and so he is back in the fold at wide receiver. So there may be open competition for wide receiver four in different spots here. Now, one of the biggest names left on the market at this point is Odell Beckham. That's not where I'm going. I'm going to go with a different. Yeah, I know that. Uh, see, I'm making sure people are paying attention here. Not going there, but. I am going to go with another guy who was a first-round pick a handful of years ago and one that actually had, uh, you could say, a little bit of, I guess, ties with the Bengals in some in some regard, and that is Will Fuller. And Will Fuller is a guy that has a lot of speed and has uh, he was a guy coming out of Notre Dame that uh, it was connected to the Bengals in a lot of different ways. He's only He just turned 28. He's played in 55 games. He's got over 200 career receptions, over 3,000 yards, 24 touchdowns. The yards per catch actually is a little lower than I would have expected at 14.7. Um, the catch percentage, not outstanding at 62.5 there. So a guy where you go, okay, he's still sitting out there. And here's the thing with him, John, with, with the speed and some of the things he brings to, to a team he, did, he has just not played in a lot of games that he has had been open for in his career. He is not, he, especially last year, there's a PED suspension that he, that carried over to the beginning of the year. Then there was a situation where he had a personal deal. I think, I think he played in what, like three games last year. So with the dolphins. Um, so he signed a one-year deal that was pretty lucrative for a one-year deal and it did not work out. So that is where you can say, Hey, if, you, if you're a year older, you're getting closer to 30, this one-year deal last year did not work out for you, this is maybe another one-year deal where you come in as a guy that's a little lower down the pecking order, but you'll still get your shots maybe in this offense, especially as a speed deep threat guy. Maybe this is something that makes sense. Maybe he'll want to go on a, on a contending team and will want to do some things with, uh, with the Bengals and Joe Burrow. And you can see here, here are the pros and cons, pros, Speed, 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 first round talent for late round price, potentially. I don't know exactly if, uh, if that's where it is, but you know, those Bengals kind of like those first round somewhat fizzle outs. They've liked those in the past. Maybe this is a guy that, that makes sense for him there. He does have some kick return ability and has some uh, limited, but there is uh, some sample size there to look at as the Bengals. There's a lot of missed games, never reached the first round potential. There's some hands questions and whatnot, but here's the deal. Zach Taylor and this draft class has shown speed, 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 right? They like speed. And Auden Tate never really saw the field very much for a variety of reasons under Zach Taylor, albeit maybe 2019, but for, for a variety of reasons because he didn't have that speed. And when you look back to Taylor's time in the Rams, they had a lot of speedy options at wide receiver. Granted, those were their top guys. But this is a guy that may make some sense for the Bengals, John, as, as a back-end wide receiver, especially as you kind of sort through a lot of undrafted free agents, a lot of different guys that you got questions on. And here's the thing, Scotty Washington, a guy that's a big player and one that, you know, I, I think a lot of us like for a variety of reasons. Um, 
he's now kind of transitioned to a tight end role. Um, you know, you've got Puka Williams. He has transitioned from uh, running back to kind of a wide receiver and or return man role. So I don't know. I, I was just thinking to myself, I said, you know, they didn't do much at this position in the draft. They want speed. I don't know. I, I connect the dots. Maybe this is an affordable option and maybe it doesn't work out for him if they do bring him in, but someone, I, I just kind of said, why not? And Oh, by the way, I will, I will share this before letting you get your two cents in here, John, I'm going to go back. Uh, I, uh, well, I got to find that. I got to find it again. So you, <laughs> you got to go. I had, I had an article queued, queued up here, but at any rate, there, the Bengals had some connections with him in the pre-draft process a handful of years ago when he went in the first round. Oh, I remember that so vividly. And remembering him at Notre Dame, like obviously the speed was a factor. His, his involvement in the Notre Dame offense was definitely a factor. The Bengals do care a lot about production and how productive you were on whatever team that you were on. And Will Fuller had that in spades, which is why he went in the first round along with that 4-3-2 speed. But it was the drops, man. It was the drops that really scared yep. the crap out of me. And I was mm -hmm. just not really on board with that being the Bengals selection. And then he went three picks ahead to the Houston Texans. And he developed this rapport with Deshaun Watson eventually, who joined the team a year later. And I think that was why like Watson and the Dolphins were so heavily connected last year because he was gonna uh, Watson was gonna follow Fuller, who you know, he was really productive targeting in Houston. It's where a lot of his big plays came from. There's a thing about the splits between Deshaun Watson with Will Fuller on the field and without Will Fuller on the field. And with Will Fuller, he was significantly better, at least during some time frame, which is why I think a lot of Browns fans wanted Will Fuller early in the free agency process. But the fact of the matter is the guy can't really stay healthy. And like you said, he dealt with uh, suspension last year as well, which is why he's still available. But I think, like, again, it, it wasn't something that I thought of, like, at all. But I think that you make a lot of sense and bring up a lot of good points with him because of how set the current Bengals receiving core is. I, I don't think there's a worry that adding Fuller is going to mess up the chemistry with the big three because he wouldn't be a part of the big three. But you look at just the rest of the receivers, the, the eight receivers they have backing up or the nine receivers they have backing up. Those, those starters, there's no one that you want to say, this guy needs to make the roster, right? It's just going to be a battle of whoever is, I guess, the most impressive out of a very similar group. So Will Fuller, I think, can definitely make an impact. It's just a matter of, is he going to be available to make an impact? Which is why, if he does sign a contract this year, it's going to be one year completely incentive-based, which is what he signed last year. And obviously, he didn't meet those incentives. So his demand can't be very high, which is also good news for the Bengals. So I think this makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. Yeah, and then here's the article I referenced. I thought I had this queued up. My apologies. But Dave Lapham was the guy, if you remember, especially in the mid-teens, 2000s. I mean, he's just a guy in general you listen to. He's got a good pulse on what the Bengals like to do in the draft. And a handful of years ago, you can go back to 2016 when he was uh, picked in the first round. He had him as the guy that was maybe going to go to the Bengals, and they never had the opportunity to draft him. So maybe a guy out there that just makes some sense. And, of course, God forbid, if there is an injury in the um, in the position group, uh, wouldn't be a bad contingency plan to have in place. You had T. Higgins with the labrum uh, issue this last year. So I, I don't know. Uh, it might be just kind of a pie-in-the-sky thought, but one where I kind of see I, I connected some past dots and maybe some future ones in terms of finances and whatnot. 
one thing that Will Fuller doesn't really provide, which the Bengals seem to value, like they value size. They value guys who are kind of big bodies to be able to make some catches in contested situations. Don't think he really provides a lot of effort as a no. run blocker. And I know a lot of fans are going to scoff at that, but like they look at certain, you know, traits and trends at certain positions. And I think they have a type at receiver. And I think, you know, we always like, we just looked at speed, I think for this year and like identified guys who were four or four guys, which would help add a, a dimension to the offense that it didn't have. But I think for, for them now, specifically now that the, that the position is so filled out with the depth chart right now, again, not a lot of quality guys behind the three, but I think a lot of them are, are of the same mold, I want to say. And I think Fuller is a slight deviation from that. And you would be making that deviation because of the perceived upside that he has. And then it just comes down to whatever price that is. You know, maybe there's some type of meeting at the table, but we have no idea what Fuller's market is. We don't know if there's other interest. I don't imagine there's a ton. It would it would be surprising because of the things that he lacks and the things that he has going on. But at the same time, can't imagine that Sean Watson would be too happy to see his friend go to a rival. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, you know, I mean, again, the position group is, is top heavy right now, right? I mean, it's just, it's, it's top heavy and you've got a lot of uh, potential vacancies there. Maybe he can give you something in the return game. If that's, if that's where you want to look. And again, he's, he's 28, but he just turned 28. So uh, there, there, there seems to be tread left on the tires. It's just a matter of, you know, you got to, you got to find the right situation and the right contract for a player like that. And maybe he'll want to come to a team. Maybe it's, it's, you know, an incentive laden one year deal where he can kind of make a little money. I don't know. But, um, and again, it could be just kind of, Hey, this isn't Madden football, but if you've seen how some of these teams, particularly how they've emulated the Bengals in their receiving core, they have loaded up on pass catchers. The Bengals went very defensive heavy in this year's draft because they are ahead of the curve on that front. So maybe they just want to add a little more to it. Maybe this is a guy out there. Everybody's fawning maybe over Odell Beckham, but this is a guy not a lot of people are talking about, former first-round talent, a lot of speed, and can can give you at least maybe a, a one-and-a-half trick pony. <laughs> but, um, you know, maybe maybe that's maybe that's what the wide receiver group needs in terms of depth. Yeah, they, they don't need a lot. And what was brought to my attention today was that this was the first draft. I don't, I don't know if it was ever or at least in a very long time where the Bengals did not take a single skill position player. So shout out to David from the gym for bringing that to my attention. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, we're going to, that's our, that's our free agency profile because the next wave of free agency is coming. And then of course you've got further cuts down the road at, at various points. And that's something to monitor as well. So we'll maybe bring up a couple more of these and of course, get you some new segments as well, but we are going to get out of here. We're going to drop the mic in just a minute. Before we do, I'm going to bring you a remember when. And this is kind of a weird one. The draft is now in the rearview mirror. but So this is kind of draft, but also just kind of follow this one along, if you will. And you go back to the 1984 draft. The Cincinnati Bengals selected, I believe it was with the seventh overall pick, a linebacker out of the University of Arizona. And that is Ricky Hundley. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because he came back and coached the Bengals under Marvin Lewis for a handful of years, coached the linebackers and whatnot. Now, what's interesting about this, John, is Hunley never played for the Bengals, even being drafted by, even though being drafted by him. He 
and the Bengals could not reach a contract agreement. So that he then went to the Denver Broncos and played a handful of years there. So the Bengals had for a while in the 80s and the 90s and early 2000s. Um, and that's why I think a lot of Bengals fans, when the rookie wage scale got in place um, with the CBA, I think they were like, oh, finally. Because there were a lot of first round picks, a lot of number one overall picks that sat out, held out everything, and they could not get out of their own way in a lot of respects. So Hundley was one of those guys that they just could not get get in the fold. They drafted him and he just he said, no, I'm not I'm not agreeing to this contract, went elsewhere, played in the league um, for a handful of years. I think they were when he was with Denver, they were AFC champs. So that is all um you know, pretty interesting. But then he he joins Marvin Lewis's staff with the Bengals around his first stint. And he was a guy that is, um, you know, now you could talk about how they drafted David Pollock and all kinds of stuff. His time with the Bengals was in, um, looking back at it, 2003 through 2007. So that would have been the David Pollock draft and obviously some other guys, Odell Thurman in there. So um, interesting. And then to uh, top it all off, he comes out of the University of Arizona as a player, and he is now back at the University of Arizona as a defensive line coach, a defensive tackle coach, going up against in the Pac-12 interstate rival Marvin Lewis, Herm Edwards, and whatnot over at Arizona State. So it's just kind of weird how some football careers go and Ricky Hunley's is an interesting one with the Cincinnati Bengals. So remember when the Bengals drafted Ricky Hunley, but he never played a freaking snap for him. <laughs> I like how these are progressively going further and further back in time. Like now, obscure, we're my friends. <laughs> yeah. So so wait. So he was drafted by the Bengals. They couldn't get a contract, and then he was traded to the Broncos because they still own his rights. Is that correct? Yeah. So eighty four to eighty seven is when he was with the Broncos. Played with Elway there. Played played with Phoenix, and then the Raiders to end his career. So he actually played in the league for yeah seven eight years overall, um, and then bounced around. He's been coaching since since ninety two. A couple of years after he quit um, uh, quit football as a player. So and he's he actually started at USC at, in ninety two, and then ended up uh, back in the Pac twelve at Arizona. But he spent uh, four seasons with the Bengals as their linebackers coach under Marvin yes. Lewis. Yeah, like Elway was what I was thinking about when you, when you mentioned the Broncos because I feel like wasn't Elway traded to the Broncos when he was drafted by the Colts and he said I'd rather play football or rather mm-hmm. play baseball. So yeah, yeah, it was that's <laughs> two years in a row. Was, wow. Yeah, yeah, it was the um, the. Uh, that was what was referenced with Eli Manning when he was drafted by the, the, the Chargers years ago. That was the whole, you know, pull a John Elway, don't go there type of thing. So it's just kind of interesting there. And the Bengals, unfortunately, in their history, have had their fair share of high pick debacles, whether it's contracts or whatnot. And that was one of them, one of the earlier ones, unfortunately, in the in their history. So but it's interesting that that didn't work out. And yet the parties were all hunky-dory later on and he came in and coached for a handful of years under Mike Brown and under Mar- Marvin Lewis even despite the fact that those contract negotiations after he, w- he was drafted went went sour times times have changed man times have definitely yeah. changed that's right so what do you got for us as we drop the mic and get on out of here yeah nothing much there's a lot going on in the world right now not a lot of it great but I think we can all kind of sit back and kind of laugh at the fact that Someone spent 60 days investigating into whether or not Hugh Jackson was being paid to lose. <laughs> and the findings was, no, you guys were just that incompetent. 
Right. Right. And it was, I think they called it like the four year plan. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was like this whole thing. It's like, oh my gosh, uh, your four year plan. Oh, goodness gracious. I, uh, I'm trying to think back what I didn't, I didn't look too heavily into it, but I mean, what, what was their, was Baker Mayfield their end game there? Or what, what was, what was their, their end game in terms of this big four year plan? I I don't know all the all the details of it. There was something about like um, if you have a certain number of like top draft picks, you get like a bonus or something like that. This is this is the allegations that he right. was explaining about, and yeah, I I didn't read too much into it because again, I'm not going to take it seriously at all. And I imagine the investigators didn't do that either. He he brought it up, right? Yeah. Didn't he? He was the one who brought it up and got this whole thing kind of going, right? He, he like incriminated himself in terms of like some right. financial law too. So he's having, he's having quite the spring. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, I- interesting. And Cleveland just can't get out of their own way. And um, they made, I guess, in some respects, exciting moves this, this year, but ones that I think a lot of people are going, Oh boy. Um, so uh, at any rate, that is going to do it for our show that we are dropping the mic and getting on out of here again. Go subscribe to the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel on your favorite audio streamer, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the major ones. Go subscribe and leave us a review if you could. That helps us out. And then, of course, if you like the video, go give a thumbs up to the Cincy Jungle Facebook page. And, of course, like and subscribe to our YouTube channel underneath John. There's a little square icon of the show. Click that to subscribe and the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. We are, we've got a lot of draft stuff up. We've got our usual shows. Try not to miss too much of a beat and bring you at least a few different shows per week as we try and get you the, the Bengal coverage you covet. So, uh, John, Thanks for all the work you guys did on the website this week. And um, obviously you were a busy guy on the podcast front as well. Popular man as always. So great work this week, my friend. Yeah, I think we both deserved a nice long week long nap or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't take Let's it. Go do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thanks, man. Uh, take it easy, everybody. We will see you soon.